0: Welcome to the Faith Driven Athlete Podcast. If you're an athlete, coach, or sports fan driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. The best way to stay connected is to sign up for our free monthly magazine at faithdrivenathlete.org. We'll compile the best videos, articles, and resources written by athletes across the country and bring them to you once a month. This podcast, of course, doesn't exist without you, our community, so while you're on the site, please send us any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you any questions that you might have for our guests. Welcome back to a special edition of the Faith Driven Athlete and Faith Driven Entrepreneur podcast. We've got a great guest today who's a friend of mine who has encouraged me in his walk with the Lord in athletics at the highest level, as a competitor, as an entrepreneur within the field of faith-driven athletics, and then as a remarkably successful businessman and a person who's been able to work very, very well in a multi-generational company that has thrived and flourished under his leadership. And today we're going to talk about a whole bunch of different things. We're going to talk about athletics. If you've been listening to this podcast for long enough, you probably have a sense that I love the sport of lacrosse. It's something remarkably special, and Frank and his family have competed at the highest levels of that for a long time. So we're going to hear a little bit about that. But I think that it's a story that will appeal to anybody, even if you don't like lacrosse. I can't imagine there are any people like that out there, Frank. But maybe that that happens. But it's a great universal story. And then, of course, on the business side. But without further ado, welcome Frank Kelly.
1: Thank you, Henry. Honored, thankful to be here and look forward to talking about lacrosse and business and faith and life.
0: Us too. Us too. Okay. So let's start off. And we always, with any of our guests across faith-driven athlete or faith-driven entrepreneur, or faith-driven investor, of course, we want to understand who you are, where you come from. Give us a brief autobiographical sketch and then bring us right up to the time where you're at Cornell and everything changes. So who are you, where sure. you come from?
1: Thanks, Henry. I'm uh, born in Philadelphia. My parents moved to the Baltimore area when I was about four, grew up in Baltimore, public school kid. Ended up getting recruited to a big Catholic high school to play football and uh, rival high school of yours, Henry, right? Coward And um, you know, somewhere in about middle school and definitely into high school, sports kind of went from just being a game to like God, little G God. And um, I think we know sports are great games, terrible gods. I didn't realize that completely at the time. And mm. You know, played football on the cross at Calvert Hall, you know had religion, attended church regularly, but I didn't really understand what it meant at that time to have a personal relationship with God through his Son Jesus Christ, and my priorities were out of order, getting more out of order by the day. And by the time I graduated high school, I had great options. I was a good young man, a good kid, good athlete, good student, had some great opportunities. Chose Cornell University primarily. Because I could play both football and lacrosse there. So I played two years of football, four years of lacrosse. God opened that door and, uh, you know, had a very unique experience there because that's where the spiritual light bulb went on for me. Mm. So
0: bring us to that. How did that happen? So you have a faith. If somebody were to stop you along the street in Baltimore and said, Frank Kelly, do you believe in God? You would have said yes. But then something became much more personal. What happened? Tell us about it.
1: Yeah. So um, get to Cornell playing football, you know, and I remember the athletic director, we went up a week or two early for football and said, Hey, there's three things you can do at Cornell university. As a, you know, you can be a student and an athlete and fulfill your potential on and off the field. You can be a student and a party boy and you'll never fulfill your potential as an athlete, or you can be an athlete and a party boy and you will fail out. And, mm-hmm. um, I kind of just remember saying, okay, let's see, I'm going to go for all three. And I did. And, you know, I grinded through the first year and did well and all, relatively well as an athlete and definitely in the party scene. My sports career didn't take off the way I thought it would. It was interesting on the last play of the last practice of our freshman football season, someone stepped on my foot and it led to an injury that nagged me for the next year and a half. It was just like a little shot that God allowed me to have. And actually I played on a football team. I lost two football games in three years of high school football. You know, we didn't lose. We won, you know, I got to Cornell. We did not win one game my freshman year. And, you know, so I had a rough season and then I got stepped on and, hmm. you know, began to train for lacrosse, feeling like I'd missed the fall season and, you know, began a gimp. It led into my season and led into the shin splints that turned into stress fractures and uh, came home after my freshman season of lacrosse and lost like 20 pounds, got bone scanned. And the guy said, you played at least four weeks, probably six weeks on two stress fractured legs. And, was in mm-hmm. tremendous pain, but I wasn't going to miss practice because my God was sport and I had to grind through and, you know, had some painful experiences moving into my sophomore year. These stress fractures lingered and caused disappointment and frustration on the football field that carried over into my sophomore lacrosse season. And, you know, during that time, there was a guy I played football with and a wrestler that kind of came into my life and were talking to me about having a relationship with God. And yeah, if someone on the street said, you believe in God, I would have said, yeah, And if someone said, you have a relationship with God, I'd say I'm religious. I mean, I go to church sometimes. I believe in God. So it didn't really make sense to me. But, uh, you know, my parents had had a spiritual awakening and they were beginning to talk to me about a relationship, too, and a priority of prioritizing God and having Jesus Christ in my life. And it's a long story. But one day in the middle of lacrosse practice, in the middle of a drill, coach was pretty rough on me, played for a Hall of Fame coach. And I got the ball taken away from me once. And then he said, go again. And twice, and three times got stripped of the ball and humiliated. He used some choice words and I went to the end of a line drill. And for some reason, things I'd heard growing up and things I'd heard from this football buddy and wrestling buddy about relationship. I, I really cried out to God for the first time and said, if I never play football or cross again, Lord, I need you in my life. So Cornell has a famous stadium. It's called Shokoff field. And, you know, it's got a famous arch Crescent stadium. And, Right there on this one spot on that field is where I made that commitment. I didn't even really fully understood what I did, but that was the beginning of a new faith journey that involved a whole nother level of relationship with God.
0: So if you're a defenseman, and you're a long pole and you're listening to this podcast, you can be formative in somebody's spiritual journey <laughs> by taking the ball away three times in a row.
1: <laughs> it's funny because it was against the pole. I was a midy. And I was going against the long pole. And so he's a defensive midi you know, long stick midi. I think one of your sons is a long stick midi. And yep. My roommate, he stripped me three times completely. Just, you know, he's your
0: roommate too.
1: We had my roommate on top of it. Yep. Just to make it extra special. And, you know, <laughs> coach Moran let me know what he thought about it and me and reminded me that I'd probably never, ever play at Cornell. And, um, with some other choice words. So, and, and I'm oh, very man. close with coach now, but God used coach and injuries and my roommate was a pole and, a lot of other things to bring me to a point of surrender and of asking, really crying out to God. You know, in mm-hmm. my faith tradition, Henry, I think you might be able to relate to this too. You know, as a kid, you maybe go through sacramental events, sacraments, yeah. and there's one called confirmation at the age of 13, 14, about eighth grade. And the symbol of confirmation is the upside down dove or the flame, which both represent the Holy Spirit. And at that point, you're supposed to make your own commitment to Jesus Christ and the church. And You know, for me, I went through the motions. My parents made me go to confirmation class and I did. And I did get confirmed. I got a party and I got gifts and I got cards, but I did not receive the Holy Spirit at that time because I did not make a commitment. And here I am as a 20 year old sophomore in the middle of lacrosse practice on some you know, famous Ivy League lacrosse field, Shokoff Field, basically getting confirmed in my heart. That's when I stood on my own two feet and said, Jesus Christ, I need you. And I don't even know if I'm supposed to receive you, believe you file, you know, but I'm asking you to come please and help me to become the person you want me to be. And I desperately need you. And that really began a journey that's transformed my life.
0: So what changed for you? Were you still balancing the three things? What was life like and how was it different a couple months after that event on the field before?
1: I went home that night and, um, You know, I talked to my dad. He was actually a state senator in Maryland. He was in Annapolis. The session is mid January through mid April. He was down there in session. I said, Dad, today in practice, (laughs) rough day, but I made a commitment. You know, you've been talking to me about prioritizing the Lord. And Jeff talked to me about receiving the Lord. And, you know, Shafe, the wrestler, told me about following the Lord. And I invited him in and I gave him my life. And my dad, we prayed over the phone and he encouraged me to begin to praise and thank God. He goes, Frank, the most important thing you can do from now is praise and thank Him every spare minute. You can do it anytime. Mm. When you're walking across campus, thank and praise Him that you can walk, praise Him that you can see, praise Him that you can hear. When you're on the field, the worse the situation, the more you want to praise Him. And and you're not necessarily praising Him for the difficult situation, but you're praising Him in the difficult situation. There's a psalm that says God inhabits the praise of His people. And when Mm. we praise Him, we're expressing faith. So when you don't praise something you don't believe in, you know, so by thanking and praising him, you're inviting God in. And so that next day I went to practice. I was still on fourth string as a sophomore when I thought I would start as a freshman. And I get there and right away there was an encounter. Coach Moran got in my grill and was ripping me. But I had peace. I had a new peace. And under my breath, even while coach was letting me have it, I was thanking God that I could see him, that I could hear him, and that I was at Cornell. And And it really transformed things. And It was three weeks later, we had a game, and we were number two ranked in the country, and we played the 10-ranked team away. It was cold, wet, rainy. I was the third-string face-off guy. The problem was the two other guys ahead of me were both sophomores as well. And again, I thought I'd be playing as a freshman. Here I am third-string face-off guy and fourth-string midi or whatever as a sophomore. And when I made that commitment to Christ, it was not a quid pro quo. It's not like, hey, I'll give you my life if you give me lacrosse back. But he chose to do that. And so all I can tell you is they had an all-American center middie. He was a stud. And he destroyed our first guy and killed our second guy. Midway through the third, we're losing like 8-3. Coach pulled an attackman, our best attackman, and had him face off before me. So I technically, I guess, was the four-string face-off guy. He got killed. So out of desperation… It's one of the only times I ever went into a game wearing sweatpants because I was so cold at the end of the bench I couldn't even feel my hands, but I was down there just praising and thanking him. A year earlier I would have been cursing the coach, I would have
0: been mm.
1: having anger and I would have been bad mouthing, saying negative things to my teammates. Probably you know, and but I just was praising him. Thank you that I'm here. Thank you I can see. Thank you I'm at Cornell. Thank you for you know just anything I could think of and he called me and threw me in and that day the holy spirit who I didn't really complete know about or understand but had come into me when I made that commitment a few weeks earlier played through me. And the next thing you know, you know, it's 11-11 and I've had a goal and insist and oh. you know, want every face off and so Who was it uh, against? Who was up, the number 10 team? At that time it was Delphi and mm. we played Adelphi Delphi on Long Island, grass wet, rain. That's when lacrosse season started mid-March. Yeah. And what's crazy, we end up losing the game. But afterwards, the whole team, Frankie, you were possessed. You were freaking possessed out there. I'm like, yeah. I, you know, and then I got on the bus and, and you were. Moran, and you were. It was. It I was out? possessed. I, I was by the Holy Spirit. And Coach Moran, Hall of Fame coach, great man, gets on. Hey, Kelly, that's the best game I've ever seen anyone play off the bench. And literally, I felt God wink at me. Wow. Now, what's crazy, Henry, to me, my lacrosse career was completely over and football too. And I ended up stopping football after two years, but he gave lacrosse back. So the next game, I'm a center midi. I have four goals and three assists. Oh my and goodness. a Division one game. And then every game after that, the next three years, I was first midfield. I was extra man offense. And I took, you know, 70% of the faceoffs and had a, an incredible career. So God wanted to do something in my life through the game of lacrosse that I never even, I have no clue to me. It was over. I finally got to the point where it was definitely over. I often tell this story because he actually blessed me. I ended up having you know great awards and honors my senior year. And then I had a very successful career, played professionally after college. They didn't even have pro lacrosse when I graduated, but played, you know, and I've actually played up until my 50s in different levels of games. But I, you know, God's given me and my brothers and our sons a high platform in reference to some levels of success, as you kind of know. So often I'll share the story of my freshman year. Cornell playing Syracuse in the dome. That's a big game. That's like, you know, UNC Duke in basketball or, you know, yeah. Ohio State Michigan in football. You know, for us, it's Cornell Syracuse. I'm at the dome. My parents fly up. My brothers are there. The girl I'm dating comes up from Baltimore. I just joined a fraternity. My fraternity brothers are there. I think I'm on the verge of getting playing time. I'm between the second midfield and third midfield in my mind. And we're warming up in the dome and one minute before the game, Coach Moran comes to me and another kid and says, hey, Kelly, hey, Kevin, you know, there's a new Ivy League rule. We can only dress 25. There's 27. I need you two guys to go in the locker room and put your street clothes on.
0: Oh, man.
1: And so that's I tell people that was the highlight of my career was trying not to cry for three hours during a college lacrosse game that I thought I'd be playing in. Instead, I was there in a coat and tie, totally humiliated in front of my family. But God was breaking me down. And I think of this story I've heard of a father who when his little girl was just a little toddler, he gave her a set of plastic pearls and she loved them. She cherished them. And over time, they got nicked and beat up and broken. And when she became a teenager into her mid teens, like around 16, he came to her and said, honey, give me the necklace. And no way, dad. And she held Mm. on so tight with both hands. Honey, give me the necklace. She wouldn't let go. And over time, he slowly. Pried her hands off of it, and then gave her a set of real pearls. And that's what I think God wanted to do for me. I had built my foundation around fake pearls, man, you know, football across yeah. and what comes with it. And what he wanted to do was give me real pearls. So he took it away or allowed it to be taken and then chose to give it back. And little did I know that what happened that day on the field at Cornell University, you know, in 1984 was really the starting point of something that became known, is known today as FCA lacrosse, which is you know, happening all over the world <laughs> through the yeah. game of lacrosse. So God's amazing.
0: That's an incredible story. And what an incredible call for your dad to get from his kid in college. Because as, as I get ready, my oldest is about ready to go off to college and just really want them to be able to come into their own faith as an adult. And I'm sure your dad remembers that call. I mean, that's a big deal. It's a call that every parent wants to get. That's really yeah. cool.
1: We talk about it. You know, often, hey, Frankie, you remember when you called me? I'm like, yes, I do, dad. <laughs> and uh, he, gave <laughs> me, you do. he gave me very simple, good advice. You know, my dad's not like a trained evangelist or anything like that. But he just shared that, hey, until your relationship with God, through his son, Jesus Christ is the top priority in your life. You're not going to find peace. You can look for it on the football field, the cross field. You can look for it in the classroom, in the party scene, with the girls, with the money. You will not find it until your relationship with him is your priority. And I'm like, you know, kind of went in one ear and out. The other through high school, but it finally registered there my sophomore year.
0: That's great. The other thing I want our audience to take away from this is just the constant prayer and praise. And for too many of us, it's to the extent that we have a discipline, it's a morning thing or it's an evening thing. And just this constant all day communion with God. That's a great takeaway.
1: Yeah. You know, you think about it. That's probably my favorite form of prayer is praise and thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And you can do it anywhere, anytime. You can be at a game. You're nervous. You're watching your kid play or you're who knows you're in a situation. You're in a job situation. It's tough. And look, it's sometimes it's hard to do and our minds get distracted. But when we praise him through pain, when we praise him through doubt, when we praise him through fear, we're just affirming our faith in him and inviting him into our situation.
0: Yeah, yep. you can do it in the middle of recording podcasts. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we <laughs> praise you. Thank you Amen. for the story. Thank you, Lord. So I want to, you're just talking there a bit about FCA lacrosse, and you can bring it to this eventually. But there is a seminal moment in the history, the inception of FCA lacrosse, that is as good of any story that I've come across. And we're going to have a link to this story because it's a great video would we'll know, the video will do a better justice to the story than than we can do right now on the podcast? And yet, I want you to tell it anyway. I want you to talk about what is this seminal tournament that's in Vale, Colorado, back in what was it, late '80s, early '90s? Yeah, it was
1: 1992. And if I can give just a little backdrop, so my sophomore year, I make the commitment. I don't really have fellowship. I don't even really know what it means to live out my faith. All I knew was he was at work in my life. And junior year, that football teammate invited me to a Bible study and I snuck to it. I was living with seven guys, including the long pole defender who stripped me three times in yeah. practice. And I didn't want them to know where I was going. And I told them a half truth. I had a laundry bag, you know, one of those mesh bags and, and under it was a little bag, the Bible. My dad had actually given me a confirmation. He had written a note in it. i the only thing I'd ever read in the Bible was the note. I'd never read the Bible. I didn't even know how to do it really. And, And I snuck to that Bible study because they asked me, Frankie, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Bible study. Half truth. I dropped my laundry at the laundromat and went to Bible study and put it in the dryer then came back and got it out of the dryer and all that, you know, but junior year really began to grow. Senior year was involved in ministry and, you know, a ministry for athletes at Cornell. God had used me and another lacrosse player, the first guy I invited to Bible study who made a commitment to the Lord. And he used us in this Bible study. We led for athletes, exploded and grew So after senior year, I ended up going to Japan with Athletes in Action and a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ crew. Mm -hmm. And it was there that I applied to go on staff. And I thought I was going down this mission road and God spoke to me. I felt through a scripture, Acts chapter one, verse eight, where Jesus says the last thing he said before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection, 40 days after the resurrection, when he ascended, is you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. So this one day I'm on this beach, it was a Sunday, Sabbath day. We'd gone to church. It was in Japan. I couldn't understand any Japanese. I couldn't understand the language, by the way, less than 1% Christian in that country. So it was neat to be there to try to share the truth. But I was sitting there and I just applied to go on staff with AIA. And that verse hit me and I learned about the Holy Spirit my junior year. And so important to living out our faith is being filled, and empowered by the spirit. And then, you know, I, I knew what it meant to be a witness. And I love that. And he said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And the word that jumped was Jerusalem. And my dad had asked me if I would come home back to Baltimore. He goes, you know, would you mind spending one year in the business before you go off to save the world? I feel like God's blessed us with this little insurance business. My parents had started in the basement and I, I came back and I said, OK, I'll do that. Well, the next thing you know, I get invited to coach lacrosse at Calvert Hall at this new pro league I'm playing. I'm doing a Bible study at the school that you know was an FCA huddle, or we changed it into a huddle. But the Lord, you know, when I was in Japan, impressed five words on my heart. One was business. One was high school. One was lacrosse. One was friends, and one was in the area of discipleship. But the lacrosse word it didn't make sense to me. I thought I was done playing lacrosse after Cornell. There was no pro league, you know. So again, now I think lacrosse is over. It's time to move on, grow up, right? So. But the next thing you know, I'm home and because I'm in a family business, my dad said you can have flexibility if you want to coach, you can coach. And now I'm coaching at a very elite high school. Next thing you know, I'm playing club and then there's this new pro indoor league. Now I'm playing pro indoor. And so all these things are happening with lacrosse and I get invited to an FCA camp. I'd never even heard of FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And they were playing football, basketball, soccer. And at the end of this one day, I went to camp to learn about it in 1987. I'm like, hey, do you have lacrosse here? And they go, no, but if you want to start it next year, you can. You know, if you ask a question, you're the guy who's going to end up leading the committee, right? And uh, So we started in 1988 a lacrosse camp. Well, we started a lacrosse at an FCA camp. So the next year, there were 100 kids playing football, 100 playing soccer, 100 playing basketball. And we had nine for lacrosse. It was a start. And then the next year, 20, then 40. Well, by the fourth year— Nine's a year, start,
0: but you can't even field a team with nine.
1: No. And by the way, three of the nine were the uh, FCA football coaches' kids. We were basically daycare for the FCA camp. And one of them, our best player of the nine was this girl, some football coach's daughter, total tomboy, toughest, you know. And we had three coaches, three elite coaches for nine kids. But the next year, Henry, we had 20 kids. And then the next year, we have 40 kids. And then the next year, we had 80 kids. Then the year happened where over 100 kids signed up. And so the FCA camp leader came to me and said, hey, Frank, I got a cap. You at 100. Like okay, well that's weird. Can you know? Do you mind if we spin off and do an FCA lacrosse camp? No, that's fine. Well, you know, two years ago we had nearly 500 kids at our FCA lacrosse camp. Over 100 volunteer coaches. Started with that one camp, but the third year we were at camp, it was 1991. So we the first camp was 88, then 89, 90. Fourth year of camp, we're up to about 80 kids. And I'm there with a guy named Dan Britton and my brother Brian. We're coaching and doing everything. And then we went out for pizza one night and we said, wouldn't it be kind of cool? if we could put together a lacrosse team, a group of guys that were open to growing in the relationship with God or love God, but also love lacrosse. And wouldn't it be cool if we went out and Dan Britton really had the idea. Let's, we could go out to Colorado playing the big veil lacrosse shootout, which at the time was the largest international men's club, like lacrosse tournament in the world. So we're like, yeah, I don't think that's a reality. And none of us, even though we had played at high, high levels, for some reason, hadn't played in that tournament. So we're like, all right, Dan, you check it out. So Dan, calls the tournament directors and they say listen um you know it's already booked there's six other teams on the waiting list so at the elite division there's 16 teams at the open men's elite division but we'll put you on the waiting list so that was in the fall of 91 and dan called me and said hey we're on the waiting list it will never get in we're six teams deep you know on a 16 team field and i'm like you know what dan i think it's kind of a blessing in disguise I, i I think it was fun to talk about. I don't really think it was going to happen anyway. It's probably just as well because I can't really see it happening. So good. Well, you know, we tried. Let's move on. The tournament every year is in July 4th weekend. So it's going to be the next one's July 4th night weekend of 1992. Well, in May, mid-May of 1992, like five weeks before the tournament, Dan calls me. Frank, you're not going to believe it. The Vail lacrosse people just called. They had two teams drop out. They've gone to all six teams. First one in you know, with a deposit check can come. I'm like, are you kidding me? Mm. And so I go to my wife, Gail, who's a very courageous, faith-filled woman. Yep. Like, you, I don't think we should do it. What do you think? Should we do it? She goes, absolutely. We should do it. Well, you know, okay. You know, it's like $800 registration. I just saw the paperwork. I found an old mm. file and we applied and got in. And in five weeks, we began to pull together a team. And, you know, my brothers had played at a high level. Brian and David had both played at the University of North Carolina on national championship teams. They were good players. Danny Britton was Great player, played at Delaware, played pro indoor. And we had maybe five other legit, you know, D1 players. I was decent. You know, we ended up with a really good goalie. And then we were piecing. We, our goal was to get to 20 players. And um, literally the last day I got our 20th player. But our last five players, we had like three kids who just graduated high school. One kid who graduated high school ended up walking on a Duke and not even making it. I'll tell you a little story if we have time about that. Yeah. But the next thing you know, we're out in Vale. So these are five
0: high school kids because I know enough about lacrosse history. I know the Vale Shootout. So at the elite team level, you got five kids on your on your roster that just graduated high school.
1: Yep, just graduated high because we were desperate just for numbers. Yeah. So we had maybe eight like really good players, four solid, five solid players, and then you know we had just fillings. I mean, the guy who came the last day because my wife and I we booked twenty flights in faith, and we weren't making much money then at all either between us, but. It was 300 bucks a flight. And it was back when you didn't need all the information you need now to book a flight. We booked yeah. 20 flights. And so we had 19 guys committed the last day. The day before we're leaving, some kid showed up. He played club lacrosse at Liberty University, okay, yeah. which wasn't very good then. And you know, and it's like, hey, you want to come? We got a spot. Sure, I'll come. So he came. I mean, that was our 20th guy, some random guy who played for some podunk high school somewhere in the South and then was at Liberty University. So good for him. Yeah, it was really cool. It was a God thing. And so we get out there, and this is pretty cool. So the first day we play an all star team from North Carolina, and it was the first time and only time, you know, this tournament, I played with all three of my brothers John, who was a great high school player, played at Washington College, played in three national championships. My brother David, who played at Calvert Hall and then North Carolina won a championship in 86, and my brother Brian who was a great player in high school and college and was undefeated on an undefeated national championship team. So my dad came because all four of his boys sure. were there. So the first game we end up beating this all-star team out of North Carolina, like 12, 8 but it was incredible. Me and my brothers scored 10 of the 12 goals, including even wow. my brother, Brian, who's a defender. So, yeah. And my dad saw that. And literally after the game, he's like, I can go to heaven. I can die and go to heaven. Now. He was so happy <laughs> just to see his four sons play together. And, But the problem was, because we won, the next game, we were going to play the two-time defending champion team. Their name was Green Turtle. It's the name of a a bar, restaurant. It's very well known on the East Coast, as you know, Henry. Very famous, lacrosse-connected. We're playing Green Turtle. They had won the tournament two years in a row. So just
0: bring us back. Give us an idea for some of the guys that have been around for a while, some of the players that were on that Green Turtle team.
1: (laughs) Okay. So this is 92. They had Gary Gain who is the Michael Jordan of lacrosse to this day. So they had yep. Gary Gate in his prime. They had Dave Petromala, who is recently-
0: Greatest defenseman recently, ever.
1: Greatest defender ever. They Jim Beardmore was a great goalie from Maryland. They're loaded. I mean, first, second team, All-Americans at every position, half the U.S. national team. And we're playing them, and they make us the 12 noon game. We're the featured game on the main field. At, it's called Ford Field, named in honor of President Ford. So there's like eight fields, but if you play on Ford Field, that's the real field. Now- This game was lining up to be like, remember the Harlem Globetrotters would always play the Washington Generals and kill them by. So this was going to be the Harlem Globetrotters against the Washington Generals. It was the Green Turtle against FCA. So we go into this game. We don't even have a coach. I'm the coach. So we're like, before, just say, boys, let's just let's give it our best effort. Let's play hard. Within 45 seconds, they're winning two nothing. We're losing two nothing. 45 seconds in. So call timeout. And it's packed thousands of people because they want to see the Harlem Globetrotters destroy us, you know, they're going to put on a show. So uh, I said, guys, listen, here's the deal. We're going to ask ourselves one question at the end of this game. And one question only, did we play as hard as we could with the gifts God's given us? Do not look at the scoreboard. We are going to play as hard as we can. Do not worry about the score. Let's just give it everything we have as in Thanksgiving to the Lord. And I'd learned about something called a praise performance where you play with all your heart as an expression of praise and thanksgiving to god for the blessings he's given you well they go up three nothing four nothing four one five one score at halftime five five now i told the team don't look at the scoreboard but at halftime i then go over to my wife and said hey gay, i'll take a picture of the scoreboard <laughs> five five at half so the human they go up six five seven five we tie it seven seven at the end of three now, I think, full disclosure, some of them, they obviously took us lightly. They were out. They go up 8-7. We tie at 8-8. Goes into overtime. We're in overtime. Gary Gate has the ball. Best player yep. in the history of the game. Michael Jordan of lacrosse. One of the guys who just graduated high school, Tucker Bailey, is covering Gary Gate. No way. Tucker goes to Duke, walks on, and gets cut. Never plays there, from what I understand. Nice kid. So I'm on the sideline. like I turn to whoever. like This game is over. Next thing you see is Gary Gates' stick, helicopter checked out of his hand. Literally, helicopter checked, which, as oh you know, goodness. in lacrosse, is, that doesn't happen a lot. Nope. And it never happens against great players. So it basically knocked his stick, not only knocked the ball on the ground, but the whole stick went up in the air and twirled around and fell. Game, first overtime ends, tie, still 8-8. Eight eight. Come into second overtime, I'm facing off, I win the faceoff, come down, the faceoff guy ends up covering a, one of our better players i throw it to him he dodges the, they get a double team he throws it back to me i'm at eight yards wide open shoot as hard as i can i thought a good track. goalie makes an elbow save jim biermore el- left elbow boom bounces off of him goes right to our guy on the crease he shoots into an empty cage with dave petromala the great defender dives in bounces off of petro's helmet goes wow. behind the goal Dan Britton picks it up, feeds it to my brother David, who is called Eugene, the scoring machine. He's he can score if you get it. He sticks he sticks it. So we beat them in double overtime.
0: Oh my goodness! And
1: it was like a lacrosse shot. I mean, the whole tournament was blown away. No one could believe it.
0: It was pandemonium. I mean, they're rushing to the field. I mean, it's cats living with dogs. It was amazing.
1: (laughs) It was something. So it was a shot heard around the lacrosse world, and it was all God. It was God thing. It was definitely a God thing, and like. That was the first time FCA had ever sponsored a team in any sport. And it's interesting. At Cornell, I'd gotten very involved with Athletes in Action, which is called AIA. And I don't really care about the initials of ministries, AIA, FCA, CBMC. They're all great. I love them all. Anything that's committed to sharing the good news in a relevant way, I love, you know. So, you know, for a year prior to getting this team together, Dan and I were doing legwork trying to put the team together through Athletes in Action because they do teams. They're known for doing high-level, almost professional-level teams in different sports that go and compete and then share the word, but it just wasn't meant to be. So we have five weeks to make a decision. We call the president of FCA and say, hey, do you mind if we wear a jersey that says FCA? I mean, we're basically going to be a team. FCA did what were called huddles. So a huddle is a gathering in a school, you know, like a football huddle. You get together and talk about God and his word. And we're like, hey, a Dallas-Healy president, who was a great guy, Hey, Dad, we're basically a mobile huddle. We're just a team huddle that's going to play games and wear an FCA jersey. Are you fine with that? Sure, do it. So that was the first time there was ever a team in in any FCA ministry that I understand. And God had a plan so much bigger than anything we imagined, because now there's dozens and dozens of teams all over the country and even around the world, Uganda, Kenya, Ukraine. So going back even to that Acts chapter one, verse eight scripture, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the remotest parts of the earth, God's doing things all over the world. But I have to kind of finish. And so now we're into the semifinal, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we're playing in Team Colorado. And they were in the top four seeds. But they're thinking, oh, my gosh, this is our year. The Turtles knocked off. <laughs> we got a three yeah, pass yeah. through the championship. And, of course, we beat them by a goal in the last minute. Of, then, course. Um, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course we did. No, And so that was just as miraculous, really. And then we end up in the championship with the number two seed. And they were just as loaded. Like, they were loaded with all the studs, Quint Kessnich, who we now know of ESPN fame and many other phenomenal players. And that was the only game we jumped out one, nothing. We're up one, nothing. We're like, Oh my gosh, this is, we're going to win this thing. You know, (laughs) next thing you know, Henry, it's nine, two, it's nine to two. We call timeout guys. We got to remember no scoreboard. No, we're going to ask ourselves, did we play as hard as we could? And just don't quit. (laughs) It's going to be nine to three, nine, four, nine, five, nine, six. With four minutes, three minutes to go, 9-7, we're on a, a total run. And I'm winning face-offs. We end up losing 10-7. Mike Morrill was on that team. His yeah. son's a great player. His grand, you know, his
0: father and his grandfather. That's like a four-generation. That's like a Kelly family.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think they're the only, the Morrill's, you know, grandfather Morrill, father Morrill, Mike Morrill, all three in the U.S. Lacrosse Hall yeah. of Fame, the only three generations. But, you know, it's the tournament ended. We didn't win it but we want it. (laughs) And uh, so God used that as a springboard for things we could not have even fathomed coming out of that tournament.
0: Yeah. It's one of my favorite sports stories. I think about Greg LeMond winning the final time trial against Laurent Fignon in the Tour de France back in the late eighties. And I think about USA hockey and for me, and for a lot of other people, this is one of those types of stories. And it's just, I got some appreciation from just hearing from you just now about Tucker with the helicopter check and that I had known. So it's just, uh, it's a great one. So there's an increasing amount of people in the United States that have come to understand that lacrosse is a great sport. By many mm-hmm. estimations, it's the fastest growing sport in youth sports in America. And there's something really powerful about it as a sport. And I'd love for you to comment about that a little bit, just in terms of why is that about the sport? But then what is it about the sport? That makes it particularly relevant. All sports ministries are important, but what is it about lacrosse and the history of the game that makes it particularly relevant and just this really neat kind of field to be able to do an appropriate level of evangelism
1: and ministry? Yeah, well, just a little history about the game. And I think you know this, but for the listeners, lacrosse is often referred to as the creator's game and it was first played by the north american indians and as like a medicine game and and what they would do is they'd play this game with sticks that had you know curved wood and a little webbing in it and a small rock as a ball and they would have a goal that you could score And, and the team that won and many times the game would go over days instead of fighting for water rights they would play a game for water rights and it was some french missionaries that came and saw the indians playing And they thought that the sticks reminded them of like their staffs, uh, the staff a bishop would walk with and carry. And so they named it the cross of all things. So the game is Mm -hmm. called the cross lacrosse. And, you know, again, known as the creator's game, what's beautiful Mm -hmm. about the game on so many levels is it's a game because it's a fast game and a finesse game. It doesn't matter how big you are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like my son's played at Carolina, the all time leading score at North Carolina, Joey Sankey was five, is five foot six, 150 pounds, mm-hmm. but lightning quick. And yet there's defenders on the team who are six foot six, 240 pounds. So, you know, you could have guys that are like NFL linebackers and guys that are track like level athletes. And there's a place for people to fit into the game. It's a fast game, you know, so I played a lot of baseball growing up, but coached a little bit too. And you know, the double headers could last a baseball game amongst kids could be a three hour event with lacrosse. You know, you go, you play three, 12 minute quarters or four, 12 minute quarters. and Every game's over within an hour. It's like the perfect sport. You come, you go, you play, and there's such camaraderie and teamwork. And you know what? I just feel that God opened the door with lacrosse. You know, it was very much the Holy Spirit that we talked about and God wanting to take his word and share it with people in a relevant way. we know what's happened with sports culture in our country. You know, I talked about football and lacrosse being great games, terrible gods, but for many sport has become like a God. And, you know, many sports fields are more filled with people today on a Sunday morning than churches. And, you know, you go to these tournaments and there might be hundreds of teams playing all day, Saturday, all day, Sunday. And so we decided that one of the most effective ways to share the word is take the word to where the people are. So we began, to create outreaches you know mainly amongst our own team you know and the way we've done it with FCA is anybody who loves the cross and is open to growing in their relationship with God is welcome to be involved and we're not looking to share God's love and truth only with our own teams but with the other teams coaches officials so we try to keep a perspective that's above winning and losing we're all competitive but it's been a great sport and the game's growing around the world so i know you know world games had how is, many
0: teams how many countries at the world games in israel
1: There were 48 countries playing in Israel, Mm. 48 countries played at the uh, world championships in Israel in 2018. In 2014 in Denver, I think there were 39 countries and we took an FCA team of volunteers, you know, that were good players. We called ourselves team serve. We went to those games and said, Hey, we'll scrimmage any team, anytime, anywhere. We'll do anything you want. We'll play you man to man. We'll play you man down. We'll play zone. We'll ride. We'll clear, you know. And last time in Israel, we had 25 guys. We ended up scrimmaging in 20 different countries. Wow. Yep. In one day, we scrimmaged Scotland, Uganda, and Russia, all in Jerusalem. And then we drove two hours to Netanya to practice against Team Korea in one day. And in each case, we got to share you know, parts of the good news with these teams at the end of these games. Incredible stories there.
0: That's incredible. That's amazing. Those three countries in Jerusalem. In the Holy in Land, sharing the faith, yeah. including officials. I've never heard of a sports ministry that goes after and includes the officials. And, I love, and that's kind of the DNA that you've got. And it's the DNA of the ministry. And it's the DNA of the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah. Well, I have to remind all of our coaches, myself included, but coaches, hey, that other coach, you want to share the good news with him. That other That official, you want to share the good news with him. It's more important to share the good news than to get the call you want. Yeah. And you know, but we all bring that human nature. So I say, Henry, with FCA lacrosse, we're not the fellowship of perfect athletes. We're the fellowship of broken athletes. We're the fellowship mm-hmm. of forgiven athletes. If you're broken and want to be forgiven, you can come and join us, yeah. because we're very far from being the fellowship of perfect athletes and coaches. Sometimes, you know, you come out under the banner of FCA, people impose unrealistic expectations that, you know, no one's perfect. But hopefully, when we make mistakes, we handle it properly. And hopefully, you know, we share the love and truth of God by the way we coach, by the way we play, by the way we act, you know, even when we make mistakes, by the way we handle ourselves.
0: Yeah. Well, I think FCA lacrosse is the class of the sport. And I just, it's been awesome to watch how it's grown since that first camp in 1989. And grateful for your faithfulness. Uh, We're going to... For those of you who are not only faith-driven athletes, but also faith-driven entrepreneurs, we wanna encourage you to come and participate and listen to the second installment of our interview with Frank Kelly, as he talks about his multi-generational business. But as we close this part of the program out, Frank, one of the things that we like to do with every one of our guests is to ask them what they're hearing from God through his word. Maybe it's this morning, maybe it's this afternoon or some other time, or it could be over the last month. But what is something that you're hearing from God through his word that's impacting you right now?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, Henry, I try to read or receive God's word every day in some way, whether it's a devotional or two or reading or listening. I don't know. When you asked the question, the first thing that jumped in my mind was John 10, 10. You know, like if someone said, Frank you've got one minute left. What do you want to tell me? I would tell you this, Jesus. That's because these are Jesus's words. They're not mine. Hmm. He said, the thief has come to rob, to kill and destroy. But I, Jesus, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I grew up not associating abundant life with my faith at all. I associated drudgery, boredom, misery with my faith. But no, And it's not easy life, but it's abundant life. And it's so important that we realize, as parents, we realize it, as husbands, as wives, as sons and daughters, as co-workers, that we have an enemy. There is a thief. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he's come to rob, he's come to kill, and he's come to destroy. And, you know, what FCA, and really where my heart is, is to empower, equip and empower myself and others to be prepared for the attacks, the plots, the ploys, the plans of the thief, the enemy who wants to rob and he'll do whatever it takes to keep us from being connected to God, rob us of our joy, rob us of our peace, rob us of our marriage, you know, kill us physically, mentally, emotionally, destroy us, our reputation. But we have the great news that greater is he who is in us than the enemy in the world. And the great news that Jesus Christ came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And that's what this is all about. Sharing the good news, the abundant life, you know, here on earth and eternally through Jesus Christ. That's Amen.
0: what i say. <laughs> it was beautiful. We're doing it as a family. We're just to time stamp this, this is the Advent season. And my family and I are going through an Advent devotional that John Piper wrote. And as it turns out, John 10, 10 was yesterday. Beautiful. And there's Love something it. just beautiful about so many people will have some degree of familiarity with the second part of the verse, but it's just, you can see that in black and white, but it comes across in technicolor when it's juxtaposed with the first half of the verse and that was beautiful Frank thank you very much for your time thank you for your faithfulness thank you for your friendship thank you for your partnership in the ministry
1: Uh, thanks Henry appreciate it God bless you
0: thank you very much for joining us for today's show the best way to stay connected with us is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenathlete.org. We're very grateful for the opportunity to serve the larger faith-driven community. Come check out our podcast at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org and also faithdriveninvestor.org. We, of course, want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you. and It's been very rewarding to see listeners coming to the sites from more than 100 countries. It's very important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your journey, one that you're proud of and that you'll share with others. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of many of our friends, executive producer Justin Foreman and program director Johnny Wills. Music by Carl Kegwell. You can see more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco.